Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. It is a pleasure to see everyone. So we're starting a new topic today, and the series is called The Halachic State, which is trying to understand the relationship between Torah and government. And if you think about what we're going through right now, this topic is fraught with complexity, with subtlety, and it is very contemporary because the, what I would say is perhaps another name for this, this series is Synagogue and State, and that is trying to understand how the government relates to religion and religion relates to government. It is so complex. It is one of the most complex bifurcations and balances that has been people have sought to, to figure this out. Um, America was made, America was constructed specifically um, in response to the English form of religion and state in a very different way, the separation of church and state, how Israel was created, modern day Israel, how it relates to halacha, how that debate continues today, and how judicial reform relates to that. All of this connects to the same question, which is how does a state and religion relate to each other? And it's so complex. And one would like to think that the Torah has some opinions on this matter, and the truth is it does. Um, the problem is that it's a little subtle and complex, so I think it's worthwhile for us to look to try to spend a little bit of time, unpack this, and try to gain a, a, a more keen appreciation for some of the issues that come up again and again and again in our history. So we can look at this in, in three stages. The first of the stages is, is today, which is does the Torah advocate a particular um, system of government, number one. Um, next week we'll look at is there extra Torah law? Can you have judicial law which is outside of the realm of halacha in Jewish thought? And then the third one will the third one will be more contemporary, which is synagogue and state, which is the establishment of the states of Israel and its contemporary relationship to religion. So with, that's what we're going to be trying to accomplish in the next three weeks. So let's start off today. When you think about systems of government, how many systems of government are there? Well, the truth is really actually quite a few. So this is, I, 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 I put into the source sheets today, the CIA's um, 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 area or um, page called Types of Government. And in it, it includes absolute monarchy, anarchy, authoritarian, commonwealth, communist. You can just see all the, all, all, all the different definitions. <coughs> Confederacy, constitutional, constitutional democracy, constitutional monarchy, democracy, dem democratic republic, dictatorship, ecclesiastical, emirate, federa federal, federal republic, Islamic republic, Maoism, Marxism, Marxism, Leninism, monarchy, oligarchy, parliamentary democracy, parliamentary government, um, parliamentary monarchy, presidential republic, socialism, sultanate, theocracy, and totalitarian. So there's a lot of, that's just, that's just the CIA's listing, there are many more, and there's a lot of overlaps because we're, um, in terms of how you define a particular state. This is just the CIA's listing. Um, and it reminds me, actually, there's the, the, to, to make it a little more tangible, there's a famous joke called Two Cows. Are you familiar with the two cow joke? Okay, there's many different iterations for this, but uh, it, it's sort of a way of describing different governments. So in a feudal government, you have two cows, your lord takes some of the milk. In pure socialism, you have two cows, the government takes them, puts them in a barn with everyone else's cows. You have to take care of all the cows, and the government gives you as much milk as you need. Then in fascism, you have two cows, the government takes them both, hires you to take care of them, and sells you the milk. <laughs> in pure communism, you have two cows, your neighbor helps you take care of them, and you share all the milk. In Russian communism, you have two cows, you have to take care of them, but the government takes all the milk. In a dictatorship, you have two cows, the government takes them both and shoots you. 
In, Singapore, in Singaporean democracy, you have two cows. The government fines you for keeping two unlicensed farm animals in an apartment. <laughs> in militarianism, you have two cows. The government takes both and drafts you. In pure democracy, you have two cows. Your neighbors decide who gets the milk. In representative democracy, you have two cows. Your neighbors pick someone to tell you who gets the milk. In American democracy, the government promises to give you two cows if you vote for it. After the election, the president is impeached for speculating in cow futures, and the, pre and the press dubs it the fair cowgate. In bureaucracy, you have two cows. Uh, the, at first, the government regulates what you can feed them and when you can milk them. Then it pays you not to milk them. And after that, it takes, it takes both, shoots one, milks the other, and pours the milk down the drain. Then it requires you to fill out forms accounting for the missing cow. In anarchy, you have two cows. Either you sell the milk at a fair price or your neighbors try to kill you and take the cows. In capitalism, you have two cows and you sell one and buy a bull. So like, <laughs> there's many different iterations of, of the, two cows, uh, the two cows story. And it just it, it really underlines or underscores the fact that human beings have different ways of governing themselves, of organizing society, and it's complex. And the question is, is what does the Torah actually say about this? Where does the Torah fit into this worldview? And the truth is, is that it seems to be pretty clear what the Torah says. It's, uh, it starts off at the beginning where the Torah tells us in the, the first source, really, the Torah says in Parshas Shoftim, so that should also really be a tip-off to us. Parshas Shoftim is this, there's a parasha which deals with judgment of systems of government. We're going to have to explore that parsha more holistically next time. But the Torah says, When you enter the land, Hashem is going to give to you, you will inherit it, you will settle in it. You'll ask for a king like the surrounding nations. Then in such a situation, you will appoint for yourself a king that Hashem will choose for you. They will arise from among your brethren. He has to obviously be a citizen. He cannot be a foreign resident. He cannot be somebody who is an alien to society. And then the Torah goes on to regulate what the king must do or must not do and who's in charge and, and, and some of the laws that govern a king. And a lot of people assume that this means to say that the Torah is prescribing what form of, of, of government, of system organization, we call this monarchy, right? And this has been a system of government from time immemorial. Most societies, in fact, just yesterday, <laughs> in a parliamentary, in, in, a, in, a, um, in a, well, a constitutional uh, monarchy, um, which England sort of emerged into being where they still have a king, but they have the House of Lords and the House of Commons. And it's interesting to know when they introduced both of those, both of those houses as a response to the people. Um, but there still is monarchy. But generally speaking, um, this was the preeminent way of governing society for many, many years. Um, there was obviously feudalism and there was oligarchy, but, but generally speaking, monarchy sort of uh, um, ruled the roost, if you will excuse the pun for many, many years. And in fact, this is also seen as something divine in many, in many systems of thought. If you read Shakespeare as an example, you really study the themes in Shakespeare, you'll notice that any time a king is about to be killed, as an example, can it be, what, which plays are kings killed in? Macbeth. 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 What was that? Richard III. Richard III. King Lear. King Lear. Hamlet. <coughs> Julius Caesar. Right, so, so all, all of the, 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 right. there's, there's a generally recurring, recurring theme. You'll notice that a precursor to the death of a king is something out of order. Something out of order, whether daylight or uh, day, daylight and night is getting mixed up, animals at the wrong time. It's seen, and the, Shakespeare clearly, clearly understanding based on the milieu of the time, 
is that the killing of a king is against the natural order of things. Something, something wrong is afoot, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, and ghosts are appearing, birds that shouldn't be appear at the right time are appearing. There's something about the natural order which is per being perverted because of the death of a king, and it's, it's constant throughout all the themes of Shakespeare. This is one of the themes is order and disorder as it relates to kings and anarchy. And, uh, and that, ch to, to a large degree, has influenced the way that we also look at Judaism. We see a king as essentially a, a agent of the divine. And so much so that when we talk about the Ribbon Shalom, the Kodesh Baruch Hu, as Melech Malchei Hamlachim, we use monarchy as a way of getting to understanding the Ribbon Shalom, which is, by the way, the, probably the closest human agency we can, because... We don't have anybody quite as powerful and as all-powerful as a king in, in, in society. But the question one has to ask is, is that in fact the case? And it's not so clear that that's the case. Part of the reason being is, is, that, is that history itself plays out a very complex textbook for that, for that observation. So let's just fast forward a number of years. The Torah tells us in Parshish Devarim. Let's assume Devarim is the end of the 40 years in the desert, right? So let's assume that, that, that this law was given. It probably wasn't. It was probably given at the beginning and Moshe Ben is, re, is rehashing this. this. That's generally understood. But let's assume that even if it was given at the end of the 40 years in the desert, they enter in, 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 into the land. What system of government governs the nation of Israel? As they enter the land of Israel, we call that Shoftim, right? They have judges, and these judges are more localized. We'll call it state rather than federal governments, essentially, where we have a judge from this tribe arise, um, um, arises to, to address a particular plight. Then he gathers to him all the surrounding tribes that go to war. They fight off their enemies. Um, peace ensues for a number of years and then again there's some sort of other problem on the borders or internally and another judge arises but each one arises from a particular tribe or we'll call it in the American system like a state so each state produces a, a different judge throughout the process of Sefer Shoftim and this system of government lasts for how long? Almost 400 years. 369 years is the amount of time that, that this system of government um, operates. And it operates, you would say, relatively well or relatively not well. It's, it's hard. It's hard to know because, you know, if you read the refrain in Sefer Shoftim, a lot of the major problems that are described at the end where it comes to, let's say, the spread of paganism through the shrine, the 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 Sefer Shoftim says by because there's no king, that's why everybody does is, is is fit in their eyes. And then we get to the other terrible episode, which leads to civil war. There's uh, this rape and murder, which leads to tribal infighting. This civil war, Binyamin is almost completely wiped out at the hands of the other tribes. And again, Sefer Shoftim ends with the words, Anybody does what they want because there is no king. And it's almost as if Sefer Shoftim is saying that this system is flawed in that there's no king, right? So we need to have some sort of system of government. And lo and behold, we get it to Sefer Shmuel. So we're already into, you know, essentially the 400th year in the land of Israel. By the way, how long is the first commonwealth? Just to be clear. How long does the first commonwealth of Israel last? We're in the third commonwealth right now. We have the source of living through it. Uh, so, so in general, it's about 800 years, right? 800 years is the amount of time that, uh, that the nation of Israel live in the land of Israel before the first exile. So we're talking about roughly half the amount of time. They're under a system of government of sporadic judges, right? Who, who rise to the occasion. Their leadership calls upon them. 
And then at, there's a transition at the beginning of Sefer Shmuel to another system of government, which is monarchy. So what happens is, is Shmuel becomes the Navi, or the, the Shofet. He takes over from the Kohen Gadol, who is also Shofet. His name was Eli. Eli's children are not walking in his ways. Eli is cursed, killed, and ultimately Shmuel, his protege, takes his place. And Shmuel becomes this fantastic leader of Israel. He, everything he says goes. He's really, really a phenomenal leader. And he grows older and his children aren't walking in his ways. Notice, by the way, it's always about children not walking your ways. What's one interesting thing about kings is dynasty, right? Which is your children take your place. But it's interesting that when his children weren't taking their place, what do they say? Oh, we need, we need a king. So here's what the, the Pesukim tell us. We're in Sefer Shmuel Perekhes. So he appoints his children as Shoftim over Israel. He wants to have some sort of continuity, which seems to be the problem with Shoftim. So they became judges in the south, in Beersheba, in the area of Judah. They didn't go in his ways, they took bribery. Now, we read in the most intensive ways, it sounds like his children were not honest. Read in a more liberal way of reading it, which many of the Forshim understand is it wasn't that they, they, they were corrupt. It was Shmuel's modus operandi, his, his MO was that he would go around Israel and serve the people on, at, at their places. So he would go to every town, he would judge them, he would bring them closer, he would to, 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 to godly ideas. His sons weren't like that. His sons said, listen, if you have an issue, come to us. You know, you, you want to have an issue, like after all, you pay the taxi, the taxi fare. And you come, you come over to Beresheva and, we'll, and I will deal with you. That was seen as a shochad, a bribe, because they weren't interested in spending the time to go out to, you know, kibbutz, you know, Yehubbutzville to, to sort out the problems. If you have a problem, you know, you just, there's a bus. You get onto the 439 and, you know, so, but, but that, that, wasn't, that wasn't their way. So that was seen as, an, as, as not as, so to speak, good as Shmuel. Okay, be it as it may. So the people weren't happy with this, the, this, this transition. They were used to, you know, white glove treatment. They approached Shmuel. You can imagine what this delegation must have looked like. I would have, I would have trembled to have been in this delegation to be the first one to knock on the door of the tent of Shmuel. Listen, Shmuel, <laughs> they put it to him very, very blandly. You're old. Your children aren't walking in your ways. We want a king to judge us like all the nations. It was a very, it was very negative for him. This, uh, this proposition obviously was uh, hit him um, in a very negative way. So Hashem turns to Shmuel and says, "Don't worry, give them a king like they asked." They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. That's what Hashem says. So you say to yourself, wait a second. The Torah tells us when they come to the land of Israel and the people ask a king to judge us like, like all the nations, then you'll give them a king. You should appoint a king. Here they're doing, it's like literally out of the rule book. They're doing exactly what it says in, Sefer, in Parshas Shoftim. Now we're in Sefer Shmuel plus 400 years essentially. And they're doing exactly that and Shmuel's upset, Hashem's upset. Like, what happens? Is it like, you, 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 and here, here again, this question, this question is critical because you have to figure out what does Hashem want for, for the governance of the nation of Israel? 
And it seems like they got it wrong, but they did get, didn't get it wrong. They said exactly what the Torah says, almost word for word. They said what was in the Pasuk. If you compare what they said in the, um, to what was said in the Pasuk, it's almost a word for word description. Right? It, say, it says, Marta, you will say in the Pasuk, And what do they say? And they say, It's literally, uh, it sounds like the same thing. There is an additional word, which is, um, what was that? No, Kacholagayim is in the Pasuk. The Shoftainu is the extra word, which seems to be added. But you, you, you say, like, you know, are we splitting hairs on that? What does that mean precisely? This is, this is the great debate over here. Now, this isn't just a debate in trying to figure out Psukim. This is also trying to figure out what Hashem really wants from us and what system really works. This is a very significant debate because something was wrong. And we don't know what that was precisely. And so the Mephoshim spend a lot of time working on this. Everybody tries to figure out what's going on. And it is worthwhile noting that the Mephoshim also speak from their backgrounds as well. They also speak from the places that they were in. And it's worthwhile appreciating that as well. So let's just take a quick, a quick summary. Yes, Moish. Isn't it com- comparable to Shlach Lecha? And, you know, Hashem said, do you think you need to send Moab? Good question, right. So that, it's, it's certainly possible. It just, it just, you know, Mosh, it's, it's a little problematic is that it sounds, it sounds like Hashem says, you will say, you will request, and you will appoint. It sounds, it sounds like it's a, it's a prescription. We'll have, to, we'll have to question that in a moment. But let's, let's start at the very beginning. What was the problem over here? What, 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 went, what went wrong precisely? We're going to look at essentially five different propositions, uh, uh, suggestions, um, and reject all of them. And, and then come down, come down to, to what I think is a really... Very, a very, I would say, uh, pure and beautiful idea that, that, that's to be found over here. So the first of these suggestions, Chazal tell us, is uh, it's to be found in the Sifrei, which is the Midrash Halacha in Devarim, which is found on this Pasuk. What does the Midrash say? It, say, it says uh, over here in the Sifrei, Rabbi Nuhurai, Omer, Rabbi Nuhurai would say, You know why they wanted a king? They wanted a little more flexibility. No, they just like, you know, we want to have a little more in the pantheon, right? So we want to have other folks to talk to. So if we have a king, then, we'll, then the king will allow that. You know, sort of wave the magic wand and everything's fine. So the Medrash says, what's, the, what's it for over here? What was so wrong? What a small smell that was off? What was wrong? Paganism, paganism was what was off over here. That's what the, that's what the Medrash says. Right, so, and if that's the case, you can understand why Shmuel was upset, and you can understand why Hashem says, Makes a lot of sense, they were despising me, like, look what these people want, like, what kind of, what kind of, uh, uh, you know, people is this? That's what, it seem, that's what it seems to be. Now, the problem with this is, like, if you think about this for a moment, is, this is what's called, Ikar Chaser Minasefer, in, in the way you do it. It's like, from where? Where do you see this? We're in the Pesukim, we're in the entire narrative of the dialogue between Shmuel, the people, Hashem. Do you ever see that Hashem identifies that? If this had been the case, that Avodah Zorah was really what was the, the, what was, what the, the, the bequest, then, then you should have said, Hashem should have said, no way, no king, goodbye. That's what Hashem should have said. And that's not what Hashem says. Hashem says, give them a king. Which means Hashem is acquiescing to their request. That's number one. No, number two is, when Hashem sends back Shmuel, He says to them, listen, I want you to tell them what's called Mishpat Melech, which means, let me tell you about what kings do. Okay, and then Shmuel goes and tells them, He's going to take your kids and he's going he's to take your kids and, and bring them to the army. He's going to take your daughters and put them into His service. He's going to, like all those things. Right? So Shmuel throws the rule book at them. That's what's about to happen in the Sefer Shmuel. But he doesn't say anything about, listen, you guys, you know, if you want a king, 
you only have to, you can only serve Hakarosh Baruch Hu. It can't be any other gods. He never says that. He never says. He never says that. that, that. So it seems like that, that, that there's something missing over here. Now, Barbanel, when when commenting on this Chazal, doesn't say that Chazal is incorrect. God forbid. What he says is, is that Chazal are giving us a metaphor for what's going on. What they're saying is, is that somehow this is misguided. Like Avodah is misguided, is misguided. This request is somehow misguided, which doesn't help us understand why it's misguided. But it isn't itself paganism. But it's like paganism. It's, it's Zara. This is a foreign concept. We, this is not something we're supposed to adopt. That's suggestion number one, and perhaps it needs to be tempered. Suggestion number two. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's the short That's gonna be that, that's gonna be the, the that's where a lot of the fortune sort of dig in because that's the only extra added word. But but uh, before even that, Chazal have another opinion. Chazal also suggests this in the Tosefet and Sanhedrin, quoted in Rabbi Yossi, um, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Yossi, Aimer. Zakeinim shualu kahalacha tnalanu melech shoftenu. I will ame aretz chazur bekil kolushneimor vayinu kanach gamanach nu kacholagoyim. So really, there were two sets of requests. The elders in the group who are statesmen, who understood how things work, they said, they said, Shmuel, we want a king, just like the Torah said. Prescription, as the Torah said, we want this to be a system of government. It's better for us, it's better for God, it's better for everyone. And then, the, 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 what was that? They didn't, they didn't use the words like the Torah said. They said, like, all the Goyim. No, 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 the Kacholagoyim is, is in the Torah. No, no, I know, I understand, but it could also be that I shouldn't expect that this way to do it. Let's see if we could do better. And not like what we do it. It, it could be, it could be, it, it just, just to clarify, just I want to clarify what they, what's actually being said over here, and then come back to that for a moment. It sounds like there, were, there, were, there was two requests that were amalgamated together, and that is the statesmen who re- requested for the right reasons, where they wanted a, a good system of government to lead them, and then there were the, the, the rabble who kind of joined in and said, like, we just, we just want to be like the rest of the people, right? And so, therefore, that request was a mixed request, and it was, the, it was correct and incorrect at the same time. The way it was asked was incorrect. And although the Psukim say that in the future, the, 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 the Psukim in, in Parshas Shoftim tell us that you're going to ask to be like the rest of the nations, really the tone of the way this subset of the people who are asking it were, they just want to be, they want to be in vogue with, you know, the Moabites have got a king, the Edomites have got a king, and we want a king, right? And that, that, that was not, as the Torah was saying it, it was, it was, and so therefore, maybe some of them would like to be saying is, let's be better, let's do something, let's, let's set up our own system, but the rest, the rest not. And this, this seems to be a predominant theme. The Rambam says this in the beginning of Hilchus Malach, and the Rambam says, in uh, the Halachas, when it comes to kings, he says, komas melech so if kissing up a king is a mitzvah, as it seems to be one of the three predominant mitzvahs when you enter the land, why was Hashem so upset? They asked, like a rebel, they asked in a problem. What were they trying to do? They just, they wanted to get rid of Shmuel. This is like, you know, this, this wasn't working. It doesn't, isn't, isn't, isn't fulfilling our requests today, even though, you know, he bristled all our children yesterday and took care of all the problems and all the wars, but today he hasn't done anything for us. So like, let's get rid of him. And so that, that was, the, the, that was the, um, the, the way that the Rabbi sees over here. That's the Taroimus. It wasn't the, the, not the right tone. Not the right tone in the way they were asking it. And the Radak says, similarly, Radak says um, in, in the next source, The system of monarchy is good. The system of monarchy is a good system according to the, these Mepharshim. 
But the problem is that they weren't asking it. They weren't doing that. <laughs> They, 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 they had other agendas, and it was it was it was just to you know to, to turn the knife, and and that, that was what was going on, which which was wrong. That's what the. the this is what happens by motion answers your question with shlachacha, but think of it like kulchem Exactly, exactly, so the, the same, same chaotic theme. And by the way, it may have been, it may have been, it may have been that there were people who were well intended. Who said we? You know, listen. We've had a good run for Shoftim, but it seems to be there's an inconsistency. It's an ebbs and flows. So we want to have something more consistent, like a king. And then the rest said, "Oh yeah." And by the way, if you notice, if you notice, most most revolutions, most changes of political systems engage both. You know, you usually have the thought the thought leaders, and then you have the rabble. And you need to have a good ma- match between the two because you need to have somebody who says, you know, like I've been reading this thing called, you know, Mar- called, called called Karl Karl Marx, right? And he talks about all these fantastic ideas. And you need the people with the pitchforks who don't have food or potatoes to eat, right? So you put the two together and boom, you have a revolution, right? So you need to have two to, for, to, for change your government. So you have the thought leaders and you have the rabble. So what, what, what's being said over here is the rabble weren't, weren't exactly asking for the right reasons, although the thought leaders may have been. That's what's being said over here. Now, the problem with this is, is that, um, is that it, it's just, what essentially is being happening over here is, is, is that what the Yisma Farshim was saying is that it's to be found in the tone of voice rather than the actual voice because it's almost directly exactly what the Torah says. The Torah says, you'll come to the land of Israel, you'll ask for a king like the rest of the nations, and you'll make a king. And that's exactly what they did. They came to the land, they settled down, they asked for a king like the rest of the nations, and then much more says, no, no, no. <laughs> so it seems... It, 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 the language they're using is correct. Now, you might also say the tone of voice is incorrect, but the language is correct. Another problem you have over here is that, listen, um, it's, it seems to be that when Mishmul returns to them and says to them and he gives them a speech, what happens is he'll anoint for them a king, and then he'll, this is Shaul, and then he'll get up and he'll say, listen, you folks have really made a mistake for asking for this king. And he gets up there on his soapbox and he gives this, this, this like, unbelievable ca- castigation and they all apologize to him at that point in time, as they should. Um, and, and at that point in time, he doesn't say to, uh, say, uh, say to them that it's a bad thing to ask for a king. He says a king, a king he, doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't castigate the, the, the king itself, which, which seems to be, um, sorry, um, he, sorry, he, he castigates them for asking for a king. For the, the criticism is that you asked for a king, not how you asked, not the tone of voice. He says you asked for a king and that's a bit of a problem. Which again seems to be at odds with the way the Psukim describe it. It sounds like he wants the king. So again, first option is Avodazara. Clearly not Avodazara. That's clearly a problem because there was no Avodazara insinuated. There was no Avodazara which was about to be precipitated. The other idea of the tone and the way they're asking it seems to be very subtle in terms of what, if what's really going on over here. The third idea, which a lot of Mufarshim jump on, the Joshua Saran, Rabbeinu Nissan, the Rabag suggest is that maybe it's the Le Shoftenu piece, that extra word they added in over here. And we're going to spend a little bit more time on this next week, is that it's not fair to look at monarchy as the only system of government. There are many types of leaders in Judaism, right? There's the Kohen, there's the Novi, there's the Shofet, there's the Melech. There are lots of different types of leaders, and they all fulfill different, different roles in the nation of Israel. And generally speaking, what seems to be happening over here, this is what the Ran argues, and this is what Ralba Gersonides argues, is that they're mixing jurisdictions here. So what they're saying is, we want a king to serve as a shofet, as a judge. What would the shofet do? He would serve in terms of issuing judgment, of halachic judgment of what to do. That's not the role of a king. So they were mixing, they were putting too much power in one arm of government when the other arm of government really, that was their job. So the court systems should be doing that. The king, the executive branch should not be overreaching and doing mishpat 
that will leave to the Supreme Court. Thank you very much. And this is not uh, your, your domain. That's what the, that's what's suggested. This the, um, the, the, the run suggests you can hear these kind of overtures today. Right. This this is not ended today uh, um, yet. And this is the, this is what seems to be over here. Which, by the way, and this actually now you can read in the psukim a little more clearly because the Torah, when describing the thing, never mentions l'shoftenu to judge us. Um, it, but when they ask for it, it is l'shoftenu. That could be. From the word itself, yes, yes. Shmuel and Levi died at the age of fifty-two. Yes. They start with saying, "Vayi Tzadok and Shmuel." Shmuel was old. He wasn't in the beginning, right? I mean, people at that time lived past fifty-two. This had to be when he was forty-nine or fifty, because he lived through. The Only the first of bit of Shaul, yeah. <laughs> so he was forty-nine years old, fifty years old. It couldn't be physically old. Maybe it was the relationship was old. Yeah, very true. Yeah. It, it could be. It could also be a slowing down a little bit in terms of what he was able to do. Perhaps in his earlier years, you're right. It's it, it, it's it's a little it's a little questionable, and I think the Ramban's going to address your point because it's it, it does seem you're right. We need to put things in perspective as to Shmuel's incredible career. But be it as it may, um, in, in this in this line of thinking, the the idea is is that is that we're mixing up different systems of government. Next week we'll spend a little more time on the different systems of government and what their jurisdiction is supposed to be, because it's fascinating to 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 do that to do that. We're looking at just one system of government right now. The overall system of government. Again, the problem with this, the, this suggestion, this third suggestion over here, um, is, is that um, Shmuel points out late, later on when he, says that he say, when he says to them, like, he's trying to point out why they're mistaken, he says, you know, the Ammonites are coming to attack us, and then suddenly you start running to us for a king, right? So that's a, that was one of his criticisms of them. So what is he indicating? What's the reason why it sounds like he's saying that they're really asking for a king? Military, right? They want to command in chief for the military, right? Which is the king's job, right? So it sounds like, and by the way, it sounds precisely like this because the next episode that happens after Shaul Amalek is is nominated and is coronated as king, the first thing that happens is is this episode happening on the east bank of the Jordan. The Yavesh Gilad is surrounded by the Ammonites, Nachash the king, and 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 Shaul's the first one to break the the siege and and is able to resolve the issue. The issue was not, oh, we you know we have this very tough question in Chosh and Mishpat and business halacha that we need to figure out, we need to redo tax code. That was not what seems to be the first episode. That happens, it's a military issue that, that precipitates asking for a king. So to suggest that what they're looking for over now is a judicial overhaul doesn't sound like what, what, what was the, the request in terms of the context of the reading, even though the word L'shoftenu does, does give that indication. Fourth suggestion. Good question. Oh, so, so, so here's an interesting point. Is the Shoftim up till now seem to wear both those hats? Right? So it seems that the Shofet was a military hero in a lot of situations and also a judge. Now, it seems to be that it's inappropriate to take both those hats off and put them both on the king. Maybe one of those hats belong on the king. But you're right, up till now, the opposite does exist, right? which, is, which is fascinating. And you wonder, one should say, why is it inappropriate? And I, I think the answer should be obvious, is that a shofet is not absolute power. A, a, a monarch is absolute power, and having the judgment, the judicial branch, under the absolute power of a monarch, that's a dangerous piece of it. That, that's uh, more, more than the other way around. But it wouldn't account for the anger and the suggestion. <laughs> Correct. Well, yeah, it would be more of a, we'll call it a, a systemic anger, meaning to say, Shmuel's saying is that is once you put everything in the hands of absolute power, then, then things go wrong, then laws start being rewritten, and, and, you know, and, and that's what it sounds like. It's more, more than about him, then it's more about the system itself. I just want to go into the fourth one. This comes to Yossi's point. The Ramban Nachmanides makes the following suggestion. He says, it just wasn't nice. 
It just wasn't nice. Here's Shmuel. Look what Shmuel did. Shmuel was dedicated to the Mishkan. He grew up from the age of the age that he was weaned, two, three years old. He grew up in the Mishkan. He dedicated his life. He fought your wars. Every, everything he did was on your, on, your, on your behalf. And now, like, you just throw him out, like, you know, like, yesterday is garbage. Like, that's, that's so inappropriate. It, it's not about the system of government. It's about the way that you treated Shmuel. And, and to Yossi's point, he wasn't really old. Right, he's in his late 40s at this point in time when, when, when this, this, whole, this whole situation is happening. Which means, by the way, his sons are probably in their early 20s. Okay? Which means that they haven't even given their sons a chance to even see what, what, like, what kind of metal they will show. I mean, they're, 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 they're uninitiated at the beginning of their careers. So it's, it seems to be a very uh, difficult. In fact, just to, corro- to, to, to corroborate this suggestion, there's a very beautiful idea that the Malbim suggests later on. Is at the whole thing, it's just the sequence of events says, Hashem says, Hashem says to, they come to Shmuel. They say, we want a king. Shmuel says, oh, this is terrible. He speaks to Hashem. Hashem says, they're rejecting me. But listen, go tell them what kings do. So Shmuel comes back and says, I want to, I'm going to read you the, I'm going to read you the right act. I'm going to tell you what happens when you have kings. And it's going to affect you. It's not going to be as easy when you had sh- as shopped him. He reads it all to them and they say, and they say, and they say, we're, we're all in. Let's, let's, let's take this king. Okay, good. So now, so then, so then they, he sends them back to the houses and he says, I'll, I'll find you a king. The whole episode, he finds Shaul, he anoints Shaul secretly, and then, it makes, then he calls her together, and then he, he nominates and he coronates Shaul. Every, like, a, a, a lot of people are like, really? He's going to be our king? You know, like, <laughs> probably the same people who ask for him. Um, so, but but they, they coronate Shaul. Shaul then shows his mettle. Um, um, defeats the defeats an enemy of the, of the nation of Israel. It's an incredible day. Eri's like, wow! And then Shmuel brings Eri together and he says, listen, and he says, I'm going to stand up here and I want to ask you a question. Did I take anything from you? Did I ever even borrow anything of you? Did I ever use my differential of power against you ever? And he, made, and he asks everybody, hundreds of thousands of people in front of him, can anybody here make any, cl- any complaint on the docket? Nobody. Can you imagine? Silence. Public leader. Can you imagine that? And then he gets up there and he, say, and he, say, uh, and he says, I want to show you that you're wrong. And he, and he says, you see, it's clear, clear skies today. I'm going uh, to declare there's going to be a rainstorm. And boom, right then, there's a terrible thunderstorm. Everybody's terrified. And they pray to Kodesh Baruch Hu and they, and, and, and they, and they apologize prof- uh, uh, profusely to, Sh- to, to Shmuel Anavi. Like, what's the deal with the rain? Why? Why rain? Says the Malbim, is rain a good thing? And the answer is, it depends. Yeah. And meaning, if you're planting your seed, it's very good. If your seeds are already ripening and it's time to harvest, it's not good, right? Are kings a good thing, says the Malbim? It depends too. And now is not the right time. That's what Shmuel was saying to them. He says, I'm here. I'm still doing things. I could have carried on doing things. And you're saying goodbye. That's bad. That's what the Ramban is saying. And so it's about, it's about the way that they were treating Shmuel. Now, if that's the case, again, the questions one could ask on the Ramban's approach, as, as they are asked, is that it seems that it's more inherent than, than circumstantial. When Hashem gets upset, it's not just, you're rejecting me. This is about Shmuel more than about HaKadosh Baruch Hu now, right? So why is Hashem upset about, I mean, he could be upset on behalf of Shmuel, but that's not a Mo'asu of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Again, it seems to fall somewhat short of this. The, the Rabbi now brings a fifth suggestion. Rabbi now actually quotes um, a person by the name of Don Pablo Ha'agmona Sherbaborges. Okay, so he quotes um, Don Pablo, who's a Christian theologian, and he actually likes his opinion, this, this fifth opinion. Take a look at the, 
at this uh, at this suggestion. He says, This is in source ten. There's different types of kings, not all kings are the same. If the king is going to submit themselves to the system of religion, or the king is going to be, I am the source of judgment, I am the, so the source of law, I will produce law rather than law, I'll be under the, guy, the, 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 under the, the law itself. Am I on the grid or am I not on the grid? I don't know if you remember that in the past presidency, there was a particular president in the past president who made an insinuation that he was above the law, right? <laughs> that, that, so when you, when you deal, those are dangerous statements to make, right? Kings, uh, and this is precisely the issue, are kings above the law or not? In many societies, they were above the law. And that was part of the problem because that's absolute power. And guess what absolute power does? It corrupts absolutely, right? So this is part of the issue. And so that being the case, um, the, the, the suggestion that, that this individual, Don Pablo, um, uh, Don Pablo suggests that the Ababinel quotes um, is, is that um, they were, the, the, really the Torah says, what kind of king do you need? You need a king who's on the grid. What were they asking for? A king who is off the grid, right? So they wanted a king who was not going to submit to Torah law, who could make his own, you know, like, why do we need this archaic Jewish system when really we, we can make our own thing, we can form it like British parliamentary uh, democracy, after all, shouldn't Israel, you can sort of hear the same debates happening 75 years ago, right, why do we need this law, we can, there's, there's common law around us. And if that's the case, the king isn't part of that. He can issue law and he can, uh, he can legislate. But why should he be submitting to the law? And that was, that was the issue that was at hand over here. Their suggestion was somebody who was <coughs> above the law itself, not submitting to Torah law. And if this is the case, actually he goes on to bring a number of proofs uh, uh, to support this particular line of thought. He says that and that's maybe why it is that Shoah Melech is treated so harshly. Think about this. What were the criticisms on Shaolah Melech? The first is when the prophet expressing the word of God says, listen, wait here for seven days. I'll be back and I'll bring the korban. And when the war is happening and, and he's under pressure, guess what? He shortcuts that, that, that wait for seven days. The next time the, kid, the prophet says to him, you've got to wipe out Amalek, men, women, and children, king, everybody. And he says, oh, well, you know, I, I made a few exceptions, right? So when that happens, there, then there's, there's a zero tolerance because what's he demonstrating? What's the, the, this, this monarch demonstrating? <laughs> I do things my way. And that kind of king is not tolerated. Whereas the, maybe that's why Malchus based David, who's the king who completely submits to the law, who lives under the umbrella of Alachic reality, is a person who's going to have longevity. Whereas the king who is not on that grid is a person who's going to be rejected. That's an example of a suggestion of some of the proofs of this as well. Yes, Shalom. Is that really true of the Ah, oh, good question. Good. One of the first things you hear about Shlomo Melech is he judges through the two women. Correct. He basically judges by <coughs> That's not a Torah judgment, what he makes over there, with the, with the, two, with the two women. Okay, so good question. So I want to just differentiate between the judgments issued by the king or the judgments that are, that, that, that so to speak, circumscribe or, or affect the king. So we will, it, it is true a king can issue his own, we'll call it, Seichalayasha judgments. As a, as a judge of sorts, but the question is, is, does he have to submit to the law itself himself? Okay, so that, that would be the case. Where here, let's say Torah law has no, has no 
judgment in this particular case. So he, can, he, he would be able to issue his own judgment. But would he have to submit to a Torah law? That's, that's the question of what yeah, So, and you'll see, but to your point, you see later on that certainly the Malchai-based David, even the Davidic kings, don't seem to listen to the law too well themselves, which leads us to really the fifth suggestion. By the way, the question that Babanel has on this, on this fifth approach over here is, he, he likes it very much, and he says you can see this very much around us, but he says that in the end of the day, um, if it is true that really kings are good, and the system of judgment, a system of government is the way to go. You know the biggest problem in all these five approaches are? Is that then you're sure should have done it. Right? If, <coughs> if a king is the way to go, it's the system of choice, and you're sure enters the land of Israel, why did he leave it open? Why, why, did, why did he leave it to the Zakanim and then the Zakanim kind of disappeared, and then Osniel ben Kanazar is set a step in, and then Eyal ben Geira, and then Devor and Barak? Why, why couldn't it have been that he says, listen, there's three mitzvahs, right? To, to get a king, Amalek and Beis HaMikdash. Let's set up a king right now. The Torah says in Pasha Shoftim, uh, it says, Kisavola Aretz. So let's set up a king. If it's, if it's such a, a good system of judgment. Clearly, he didn't think so. Right, so why didn't he think so? If, 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 if He should have set up the good king. He should have set up the king and says, this is how kings operate. They listen to the Torah and then they would, then it would be good. But he doesn't do that. So the Rabbi Nel points out the following. This is, I think, a, a, to me, is a revolutionary kind of way of looking at things. Listen to what the Rabbi Nel says. Beautiful, beautiful observation. He says, he's the following, and, and, and he just, he, he questions why we need kings in the first place, but look, listen to his words, and it's such powerful, powerful words. He says the following, he bits he says, look around, look around, he says, look, look at places that have kings. He says, look at what happens when you have monarchs. No control. They, they do what they want. They act like uh, 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 like anarchists themselves, totalitarians, terrible people, terrible societies on the backs of their, of their citizens. What, what, what kind of accountability do you have? Then you go to other places and they have term limits. The, le- the leaders are voted in. They have term limits. Even three months, he says, as term limits. Somebody makes a mistake, they're outvoted. Somebody breaks the law, they're brought to task because they're not the only person and they have term limits. And then he goes on to say, and he, go, and he goes on to, des- to describe, he says the following, The fourth beast, referring to the Romans, Meaning, when there was the, 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 the Senate in Rome, then everything ran, they, they took over all the lands. When did the Roman Empire fall? When they had a Caesar. Right? When they had a, a king. That's when the Roman Empire fell. Is when they had one crazy person. That's when it started splitting in the Byzantine Empire. Look at Venice. He says, Look at Florence. It's fantastic. Wonderful countries. By the way, the Rabbi is speaking from experience. Because he personally 
negotiated with Isabella and Ferdinand to try to save the Jews in, in Spain to no avail. And he ran and fled to Venice himself. And he says, I've dealt with the king of Portugal, Juan. I've dealt with the king of Spain and the queen Isabella. I've dealt with the Roman Empire, which is now through the Catholic, um, the, the Catholic Christians. And there's nothing to talk about. They do what they want. There's no accountability. And they kill who they want. They reject who they want. They take whoever's money they want. It's terrible. And then I go to Venice. Look at this incredible place. Democracy. It works. That's what the Rabbi Nel says. Speaking from real blood, sweat, and tears. His monarchy is a terrible system. It's a bad system of government. Um, and in fact, so then you say, so, about, so what is the, what's the Torah saying then? <laughs> so what's the Torah talking about when it says, so it says that Abarbanel, says that Abarbanel is, the Torah is giving a prophecy. The Torah is saying, there's going to come a time where just like when it talks about what's called Eshos Yafas Torah, when a person comes in, into war and he sees a non-Jew, a non-Jewess, and he falls madly in love with her or in lust with her, because of, because, of, uh, because of wartime, the Torah says, listen, we'll make a pathway for, for your, uh, your, inca your incapability of controlling yourself, right? So we'll, 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 we'll figure out how to deal with this. But in the same situation, says the Abbanel, when the Torah says you're going to ask for a terrible system of government, okay, he has the way to do it. We've got to regulate it. So he has to have a Torah and he can't marry too many women and he can't have too much money and he can't go to Egypt for horses and all those things. That's not a mitzvah. That's called the Rishus. Which means that the Torah is relating to when you make this, which is, explains why you should have asked for it. Because he, didn't, he was doing the right thing. He didn't need the king. There were other systems of government which were sufficient as well. You want to take it one step further. This is, it, 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 uh, the Nitziv will end with this because it's, so, it's such a profound observation. The Nitziv says in Source 13 in the Haimek Davar, he says, uh, it's such an obvious observation. He says, The Torah is telling us you have to have a king. It's uh, optional. Like there's what's called basar tava when you want to eat meat, you have to shecht it. Why does it say you will say you will ask? Different countries have different ways of governing themselves and organizing their systems of government. Yesh Medina. There are some societies that simply cannot have a monarch, one person telling them what to do. They don't bow to the crown. And you have another country, if they don't have a melech, they don't have some sort of strong leader or dictator, they, the whole thing falls apart. They can't handle democracy. <laughs> they weren't born for this. It reminds me of a story about a journalist who's going around the world. And he's asking questions of different civilizations or different, or different uh, people, you know, or, or, um, about the, the recent hike in the price of electricity. So he goes up to a fellow from Venezuela and he says, what do you think about, you know, the, the government's re um, recent raising of prices of electricity? Uh, uh, what's your opinion about the recent raising of prices of electricity? And so the fellow from Venezuela says, what's, what's a government? So then he goes over and he goes to a person who lives in, you know, Zimbabwe and he says, what do you think about the government's raising of the prices of electricity? And the man says, what's electricity? And then he goes over to a person in China and he says, what's your opinion about the government's raising the price of electricity? And he says, what's an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> so everybody has a different way of looking at things. And so what the Nitzir says is, how could the Torah possibly mandate one system of government? How could the Torah say forevermore in all of history there's going to be one way of governing yourselves? Depends who? Depends when? Golda Meir was, uh, 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 had told the American president at the time, she said, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have... So I have, what, what, what was it? Six million, six million prime ministers. Everybody has an opinion. 
So, so says the Nitziv, therefore, what does the Torah actually say? The Torah can't mandate one system. A system of government will mean lives at danger. You have the wrong type of government, people are going to die. And it happens all the time. Unless the people want it, the Torah can't mandate it. Okay? Only when the people say, this is the system we want, then this is the way to do it. If the people say, you know, we reach the stage where we think, it's, we, we think that it's important for us to have one leader, then the Torah says, okay, now, if this is the system you want, then you can do that, right? But the point is, it's responding to the needs of the people. And they say, you know, politically speaking, around us, it really kings, and we need militarily, we need it, we need it for, so for a, a, a you know, figurehead, we need to have somebody who's vibrant and strong to represent us. Okay, if you think that's right for you now, you can ask for it in the Sanhedrin, this is how you do things and so on. The Torah cannot possibly mandate this, which means to say that the Torah is, in a certain sense, has the humility to understand the complexity of the human spirit and the complexity of societies. And not one system works for all people, and not one system works for all people at all times. And look at the first, second, and third commonwealth of Israel, just as, as an example. The first commonwealth, we had kings, and look where that led. There was complexity in the, in the, towards the end, as the Babanel points out. Second system, we didn't have kings. We were a subsidiary of another country for most of the time, and then when the Hashwanai came back, kings became complicated again. Then the, under the third commonwealth, which is where we are now, we have democracy. And it has its own problems. As Winston Churchill says, democracy is... The best of all, the, of all, is the least worst of all systems are, are, of government ultimately, and that's and that's where we that that's where we reside today. Finding that space is not so simple. But to have the hubris to say that the Torah says only one way, not so clear, not so clear. The Torah is a little more sophisticated than that. What we're going to spend do, time doing next next week is we're going to look at the other parts of government, the other arms, which is the shoftim, the kwanim, the neviim, how they all relate to each other. And then, God willing, that gives us the, the, the backgrounds for appreciating this discussion to be had about the state of Israel in 75, 75 years ago and how it came to be in this current situation as well. Rabbi, so thank you so much.